Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS. And that link will be in the show notes. That's the thing with certain minerals like copper, like iron, when we have excessive amounts, it can actually be because your body's not taking it and putting it in its most available form. And so it can build up. Stress is the inflammation that robs us of life, energy, and happiness. Our typical solutions for gut health and hormone balance have let a lot of us down. We're over-medicated and underserved. At The Less Stressed Life, we're a community of health-savvy women exploring solutions outside of our traditional Western medicine toolbox and training to raise the bar and change our stories. Each week, our hope is that you leave our sessions inspired to learn, grow, and share these stories to raise the bar in your life and home. Today on The Less Stressed Life, we have return guest, Amanda Montalvo. Amanda is a women's health dietitian that helps women get to the root cause of hormone imbalances and have healthy menstrual cycles. Amanda started off her education in nutrition with traditional route, but after dealing with her own health problems and after getting off hormonal birth control, she quickly realized the value of functional medicine. After healing her acne, balancing her hormones, and learning the value of her menstrual cycle, she found her purpose to help women create a body imbalance and not settle for anything less. In case you are on Instagram, Amanda would be Hormone Healing RD, correct me if I'm wrong. And she was here the first time on episode 182, where we talked about her own experience with a PCOS diagnosis, increase of symptoms that came to really a head six years after her copper IUD was placed. We talked about what symptoms appear when minerals are compromised and dived into each macro mineral, meaning we talked about sodium, magnesium, calcium, and potassium. So today we're going to continue the story talking about copper and iron, which is a bit mind-blowing, especially conventionally trained because we're kind of simpletons. Welcome first. We'll jump in and we'll talk about like, we'll do a quick, not a full recap, but like if we could summarize in a sentence, this is how I would say it. And I, I'd just like you to elaborate. And these are things that I feel like you have really always said, and I'm adopting from you. <laughs> Mineral issues are a sign of stress and they're also spark plugs for energy. Explain. Yes. So I think the hair mineral test often gets misunderstood, right? People want to look at it like blood work and they want things to either be high or low, normal, but the hair test is really showing us your body's unique response to stress because it's looking inside the cell. And when we are going through that stress response, we burn through certain minerals like sodium, potassium, magnesium. So that's why I feel like minerals are that kind of 
sign of stress, how stressed out you are. If you have really high levels, you're currently stressed, low levels, you've probably been stressed for a long time. And then spark plugs is, I mean, they're really what kicks off all the different reactions. That's why I feel like so often we're missing the bigger picture when we're focusing on if someone, maybe you have a thyroid issue and not that, you know, I don't think thyroid medication is bad, but it doesn't work for everyone. And it's kind of like, what's going on there? What's a deeper issue? And minerals can be a really big key player in that since, you know, if you don't have enough magnesium, you can't make energy ATP. So of course you're going to have fatigue. So they're really like the root cause of the majority of health issues in my opinion. Yeah. I remember when I first became kind of like, man, especially in the aging population, they just struggle so much with minerals, but we're going to go way back and like peel it back to a much younger generation because we all have stress. So with the hair test, like when we're losing minerals, you see some of that in the hair. And then I just want to like emphasize with the thyroid stuff, which we talked more about in the last episode, kind of how I'm seeing this manifest in practice and be useful is conventionally, we don't even do full thyroid testing the end. Like you ask for a full thyroid test, you don't get one. Functionally, we'll pull full thyroid tests and we have functional markers, but sometimes we still have thyroid issue or thyroid symptoms, like even if they're functionally on target, which is what I had been starting to see as well. Like sometimes we catch big things that I'm not catching because we're not testing, but sometimes we test and it's like, well, you still have these symptoms. And then the hair test kind of has, there's some mineral ratios. And what is the ratio, the mineral ratio for thyroid that can kind of tell you like, Hey, you probably have some like cofactors that you like that are not performed. Like you don't have the cofactors to do this, which is not showing up yet on your labs. Yeah. That's the symptoms. Yeah. That's your calcium potassium ratio. That's technically your thyroid ratio because calcium in excess can inhibit iodine from binding and really slows us down. And then potassium helps that thyroid hormone get inside the cell. Perfect. Now you were just talking about, you kind of sort of touched on this and I don't know if we talked about it last time. So let's talk about magnesium burn rate before we get into copper and iron. What's magnesium burn rate? So your magnesium burn rate, it sounds very fancy, but it's literally just how much magnesium your body is using. And this is really based on how much stress you are currently under. It's the first mineral that we use up during the stress response. It's not the only thing. We use up vitamin C, sodium, potassium, but magnesium is probably the one that people will see the most, whether it's on their hair test or if they're looking at their blood work, like your magnesium RBC or something. That's the one that's going to be the most connected. Most people are already deficient in magnesium, but on your hair test, you can see how much magnesium you're using up. So like really high levels, that's going to indicate that you're using up a lot of magnesium. Your body's under a lot of stress. Same thing with calcium. That's kind of the other piece of the magnesium burn rate is what is your calcium magnesium ratio? You know, how much magnesium are you using and how is that impacting calcium? Because of course those are two synergistic minerals, but you can figure it out looking at your hair test, but then you also want to think about how stressed out are you? So whenever you have that additional stressor, that means it's going to increase your requirement for certain minerals, including magnesium. I am going to try to bring us back to like, what does the blood lab show? Cause you know, as a lay person and as like traditionally trained, this is going to be kind of hard to like think about. And we want to think about like, what's a normal translation because that's usually where we're going to go. So you just talked about like blood labs for magnesium. So what do you usually see? Because sometimes what's showing up on the blood lab, which is going to be the conversation <laughs> when we get into some of this other stuff, it's like serum tissue, et cetera. Talk yeah. to us about like what you're seeing in, if you ever did check magnesium in the blood, how we're normally checking it, how you were checking it, if different, and what you were normally seeing in relationship to what's in the hair and like what's going on there. 
So typically, if you ask for your doctor to test your magnesium, they're going to test your serum magnesium. And that is the worst way to look at your magnesium status. It just tells you basically nothing. If your serum magnesium is low, that means there's like huge problems and you probably are very symptomatic. So serum magnesium is not the best route, but that's the typical one. The other blood marker is magnesium RBC. And that's just looking at the magnesium that's inside your red blood cells. I don't think there's a perfect measurement for magnesium. I think looking at your mag RBC is helpful because it's going to be much more accurate than your serum level. And then comparing that to your hair test, sometimes they'll match up perfectly. Like sometimes if you have a really low mag RBC on your blood work, then your hair test will also be low, but it could also be the opposite where you have really high levels of magnesium, meaning you're using it up quickly and you're using a lot, and then you have low levels on your blood work. So It's just kind of showing you how depleted you are. If they're both low, that's red flag that you've probably been depleted for a while. If your hair test is high and your blood work is low, then I would say you'll probably replenish that magnesium RBC a little bit quicker. Do you still check magnesium RBC? I do. I encourage people to also do some blood work. It's called the full Monty panel, especially if they're wanting to get pregnant or they have endometriosis or PCOS or anything. I'm like, if you guys can like please do this panel to compare it, but I don't like require it of everyone. Mm -hmm. Cool. And if you're really low on magnesium, it's not awesome for you. All right. Let's talk about copper. Let me talk about functionally how I've viewed copper. I've viewed copper as something that needs to stay in sync with zinc and people overtake zinc, especially in this last year. And they're making copper deficient because it needs to be in a 15 to one ratio. I think about copper. I'm trying to represent right now with my hands stretchiness (laughs) because it's important like stretching. And so like with aneurysms and with pouches and things like that, sometimes you'll see some copper like historically, before I was thinking about this in this way through you and other people, those were the things I was thinking about copper for. So I want you to add all on to whatever you want to say, but like, first of all, what is copper? And then the other concern is like, what is copper toxicity and how does that look like? So copper is, I think one of the most important minerals, especially for women, I would say for anyone, but obviously that's my main focus. And The reason it's so important is because it helps our bodies make energy. It works with magnesium. So copper and magnesium both work together to make ATP, which is the body's main energy source. And I too like thought, you know, unless you have some specific genetic disease, like you're never going to have a copper deficiency in the US, you know, like why would that ever happen? That's definitely how I was taught as a like conventionally trained dietitian. And the more I looked into it, and then of course I had copper toxicity, which I don't really think is a thing unless you are taking massive amounts of synthetic copper. That's typically not the issue. It's that your copper is not being used properly. So that's the thing with certain minerals like copper, like iron, when we have excessive amounts, it can actually be because your body's not taking it and putting it in its most available form. And so it can build up. And it's interesting. A lot of the symptoms of high copper are the same as low copper, just like estrogen, I feel like. But basically uh, lots of mental, emotional stuff because it can get stored in the brain, poor detoxification, really high estrogen, like estrogen dominant PMS type symptoms, acne. Those are some of the biggest ones with copper toxicity. But usually if someone is dealing with that, it's like like manic mental episodes is what I have seen like most often, but 
that was like from someone with a copper IUD. So it's not necessarily that they just randomly have excess copper. I think people are terrified of copper, but we don't have a lot of copper in our soil anymore. A lot of us don't eat organ meats. So we're not getting things like liver, which is a great source of copper. So it's one of those things I feel like it's most people are depleted in it or just their bodies aren't using it correctly because they're not taking in enough vitamin A. That's the vitamin that helps us take copper, turn it into different bioavailable forms and then use it in the body. Okay. Well, this is kind of heavy. I want to go back to like your story to help us illustrate this point. And to be honest, the first person I was learning about mineral stuff from was like all up in copper toxicity, right? And so copper IUD could be an option, right? Because you're getting copper from that. I had another client who copper is used as like an algicide in pools and actually lakes and stuff as well. And her pool was being mismanaged. And so we did find some copper issues there. But like you said, and she was like really symptomatic properly, like abnormally for her as a health professional. And so tell us a little bit more about like your story, which I thought had to do with copper excess because you had stuff presenting six years after your copper IUD. Because this is what really matters. People need to see themselves. So like, what's up? I don't think it was just from my IUD though. I think it was a combination of the birth control pill, like taking that for so long and then going right to a copper IUD. I actually see high copper on hair tests way more frequently in women on the pill than that have the copper IUD. And so I think it was a combination of both because we know the birth control pill can increase copper levels in the body. And so I think going on both of those things just like really threw me off. I did have the copper ID for seven years. So I think at first, like typically your levels go up and then they go back down because you store it in your tissues. And so I think that's probably what happened to me. And then eventually my body just could not continue to store that copper, especially, I mean, seven years, you can only keep them in for 10. So the timeline makes sense. And I also wasn't really doing a ton of like vitamin A rich foods. So I do think that really threw my body off. And you have to think like, you know, how well are your adrenals functioning? Like that's huge for being able to metabolize and utilize copper as well. And I was definitely in a very adrenal dysfunctional type of state. So I think it was kind of like the perfect storm of everything, like having the history of using uh, hormonal birth control, copper IUD built up in my body, vitamin A deficiency. And so it's like, yes, I don't consider myself having copper toxicity. I just think I had an excessive amount of copper that wasn't being used. So it was contributing to estrogen building up. Oof. Okay. So what I want to take away from that, that's probably really important is that like the first catalyst for most of this is really stress, which is so unsexy. I know. Um, It's like so lame because it's like, people are like, I know, but could I just have some stuff for this? I'm like, well, you know, it's like uh, filling a bucket with a hole in the in the bottom. It's just really like exhausting eventually in all capacities because stress basically just destroys adrenals, makes it like hard for. I mean, it's really mitochondrial or cellular damage. Yeah. And we're talking about how certain nutrients move in and out of the cell a little bit is kind of the other piece. And so speaking of that topic, before we get into iron, we should not have started with, but like iron is going to make the most and least sense in this conversation. Do we need to cover vitamin A's rule first as a segue or talk about iron first? Yeah. I would just say like, whenever we're talking about any minerals, like other than magnesium, I mean, we're really thinking food-based. So even like saying like when I say, like, I think a lot of people aren't getting enough copper. It's not that I think people need to run out and buy copper supplements. I think it's like, mm-hmm. let's try to get beef liver in shellfish. If you're not allergic to it, another great source, whole food, vitamin C, that kind of stuff. Like it's more that I think 
diet and like wellness culture has eliminated a lot of foods that are very nutrient dense. And that's what creates a lot of these imbalances. And then most women are using things like hormonal birth control, copper IUD, and creating even more kind of mineral chaos. And then we're all stressed out trying to figure out our health issues on top of it. So I think it's a little bit more common than we might think. And when it comes to like, yes, copper is important because it helps us make energy. But like I said before, it doesn't like the copper that you're getting, if it's just copper, you're not gonna be able to use it. We need vitamin A to turn it into different enzymes. And those are enzymes are the things that kick off the different reactions that carry out different essential functions in the body. So without that vitamin A, your copper is pretty much useless, especially for things like in relation to iron. But there's a lot of different copper-driven enzymes in me, and those all also require vitamin A. So I think for my specific issue that a lot of it was, I was like lacking the copper in my diet, getting these synthetic sources that were entering my body. And then I didn't have the vitamin A to kind of back that up. So it ended up accumulating and leading to lots of estrogen dominance. And vitamin A is really the key to improving all of that and like minimizing your chances of it happening again long-term. I know this is all like first language to you. So I'm going to go back and underline a couple things that maybe were not first language for everyone else. You were talking about copper sources and you talked about shellfish. I don't remember what else. And you said whole food vitamin C. And that's because we think of whole food vitamin C as like a car with all the stuff inside and copper is one of the pieces inside. Whereas ascorbic acid vitamin C is kind of like the shell of the car. So like that's the purpose of you saying whole food vitamin C sources are synergistic. You're getting other synergistic nutrients. A more, an easier in whole food vitamin C sources could include citruses, acerola, cherry, camu, camu. What else is on your list? There are lots of berries are great options as well. Any fruit's going to have vitamin C, so big proponent of fruit. But I know I hesitate to say vitamin C. And even I wanted to emphasize like whole food forms of copper because people are very quick to, like when you said the stress thing, you're like, can't you just give me something? Like people want to just go out and buy supplements. Like, oh, I'm going to get a copper supplement. I'm going to get vitamin C. I'm going to get vitamin A. But it's so different. When we extract nutrients from their whole food form, we are missing out on so many other important cofactors in there. Which is annoying. I know. Um, And on that note, so everything you've literally said, whole food copper, whole food C, not whole food A, but like I always call it animal-based yeah. because whole food A would be like, there's, you know, beta carotene from carrots. And then there is like what your liver makes retinol. Mm-hmm. So talk about vitamin A because that's probably really important. And so why is vitamin A such a problem? Because it's competing with receptor sites for vitamin D, right? And so now yeah. we're taking a bunch of vitamin D and accidentally pushing down our A, which no one talks about, which is a huge thing for immune system and inhibiting like fungal overgrowth and stuff. And it's like, you can just do this for every nutrient. It's like you pull up the vitamin D research. It's like, it's amazing. And then you pull up the vitamin A research and you're like, it's also amazing. If you just think about like what it does, but we don't have as, we don't have a bunch of research dollars going in there and we're not looking at biochemistry. We're very simple people, right? Or it's like, yeah, vitamin D low, take vitamin D. And so I don't know about you, how you came to this. I came to this out of boredom. (laughs) I come to this because I'm like, oh, you know, like there are some people who don't respond to typically to certain things. And I'm like, I know there's a mineral thing. And then, oh my gosh, did I really want to go down a rabbit hole for a year? No, but thanks for your help in it. Cause you're making it easier to understand. Like, did you bring your analogy game today? Because it's going to be, oh needed. my gosh, I thought of another one for copper, please. Uh, I see so much high copper from vitamin D supplementation. Okay. Hold on. 
So much high copper from vitamin D supplementation. Because of how vitamin D, like how you just said, vitamin D pushes down vitamin A. So then all of a sudden you don't have the vitamin A to convert your copper to make it available for use. So people that do high dose vitamin D, you tend to see really high calcium on their hair tests and then really high copper. So that's another big, big one. And I think this is because a lot of us like birth control is so common, vitamin D supplementation is always being talked about. Taking zinc, like yes, it can deplete your copper, but it can also, in order to deplete it, you end up dumping a lot of copper throughout that process. So I think some people don't even realize that they're, not that they're doing it to themselves, but they kind of are like without really realizing it, that certain supplements are going to be contributing to that excess copper. It's like, do you really have copper toxicity or is it, are you creating imbalances by well, the best I want to, I want to talk real quick about your opinion with zinc supplementation then in times of COVID, because I don't want people taking high dose zinc for a long time. I'm okay with it, especially if you're I personally at the moment, I'm okay with it right before, like if you're trying to prevent illness, right? Before, like you're really susceptible to something. I think it could be like a little bit of shot of something and I'm okay with it. Like if you're in duress at that time and also like zinc is a common deficiency from gut issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm pulling from what I already knew and trying to relearn <laughs> what I already knew and which I'll, I'll bring up in iron when we get here in a second. Yeah. But how do you feel about people taking zinc? Do you think it's not as big of a deal? I was like, well, it should be in symphony with copper. I mean, not that I just, I mean, we just encourage people not to take it supplementally anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would say like, I have had some people that used oyster supplements. So they did like a whole food zinc. I mean, obviously they're not mega dosing it, but they will like, instead of just getting it from their diet, they'll add in oyster supplementation. I just personally would rather have people up their vitamin A. I feel like that's going to be so much more helpful for their immune system. But are you okay with like supplemental retinol vitamin A and not just in food? I don't usually use the supplemental one. I usually use cod liver oil. Mm -hmm, Right. Which you can get really high doses of vitamin A. We've talked about this. Some of the highest ones taste disgusting. That's okay. I know. But it's like, so I'd rather have them do that first. But I I also, honestly, it's like what that person, like, what do they think is going to work for them? Because if they don't think it's going to work, it's not. Mm -hmm. And are they going to be super stressed because they're not taking the zinc? Like I had some people do it. I mean, I didn't have them do it, but they're like some people around me had the virus and everything. And so I took vitamin D, zinc and vitamin C, and then they felt terrible like a few weeks later and still ended up getting it. So it's kind of like, so I I also had someone freaking out recently. She's like, well, you just took me off D and I was like, that's because I'm getting more synergistic and I don't, you've been on it long enough, even though you had this deficiency, which vitamin D as deficiency is an inflammatory signpost, but it's not the only yeah. piece. It's not like you just give vitamin D necessarily, which is me relearning that as well. Cause nature doesn't put vitamin A and D. And I mean, you know much more about this than I do, but anyway, my point is, is like, it's really a challenging piece. And also what I also want to say about this is that when you're trying to replete something and help kind of like the puppets behind the show, like, you know, when you go to a play, you see it for like a couple hours, but there was a lot of preparation leading up to that for a couple of months and all the stagehands moving around. And that's essentially what putting back whole food forms in is like, mm-hmm. it's like, let's move everything around. Let's rehearse, let's practice. And then we're ready to perform as, I mean, it's like filling in the gaps, you know, essentially. Yeah. And it's almost like when it's been missing things, it's like, you know, throwing in a substitute and throwing, cause our body is freaking amazing at compensating, but something is always getting stolen from, right? If you need Alice to play the Cheshire cat, she's not going to be able to 
come out for the other scene, you know, like, so she's not gonna be able to show up. I think I did good on that analogy really. I think so too. I mean, that's the first thing I thought of when you asked me about the zinc is I'm like, well, if someone's deficient in zinc, it makes me think of their magnesium because they have the same valence and your body will use up zinc in the liver if magnesium is depleted. So, but again, it's like, if you need that zinc in that moment, is it bad to supplement with a high dose? Like, I don't necessarily think so, but I feel like, I think it's like a case by case thing. And it's like, if you constantly find yourself doing those types of things, it's kind of like, what are you really helping here? Mm-hmm. This isn't new. It's like old school biochemistry stuff. And sometimes I'm like, how yeah. do we know this? You know, I know. <laughs> and why don't more people talk about it? But it, like you said, it's like, especially with the vitamin D thing, people struggle with this one. And I'm like, you have to do what you're comfortable with. But when you think about it, like even though vitamin D, like a lot of people say it's more like a hormone. I agree with that. It works on receptor sites. It carries information just like a hormone messenger, but it's like we're doing any sort of nutrient. Like if you look at any mineral or iron, people take like one measurement and they think, oh, it's high or low. It's that simple. We'll just add more. It's like nothing happens in isolation in the body. And so that's how I look at things like vitamin D and iron status. It's like, okay, but how's your magnesium? How's your vitamin A? How's your copper? Like what else is going on? That's going to like, this is more of a symptom than the actual problem. All right. I'm going to review a few concepts because we're going to hit a new one here in a second. That's going to be like, oh, and it's probably the most familiar one. First up, we talked about magnesium burn rate and stress overall causing mineral loss, especially magnesium. It's not the only one. Then we talked about copper and copper high and low and the symptoms that kind of look a little bit alike. And copper is necessary for iron, which we're going to talk about next. But if you have to have this animal-based form of vitamin A. So your liver needs to make it, or you need to have enough of it to move the copper around. But if you're taking vitamin D, which we do sometimes prophylactically, and I never had a problem with until recently at all. (laughs) This is why it's kind of hard. This is a hard conversation, but if you're taking D, it may compete with vitamin A for receptor sites, or it does. In nature, makes vitamin A at much higher concentrations in food than vitamin D. It has both synergistically, so cod liver oil, but it's like exponentially more vitamin A, which is like, what do we not know yet? I mean, we probably know, but I'm like, I don't know. You can't replicate nature is always the, is always a good, always a good mantra. And speaking of like who talks about this and whatnot, I think these are hard. I think these are difficult concepts. If you're still with us, I think this is kind of hard and it's not instant this week. Like you're going to see the results in a few weeks to a couple of months more likely um, because, you know, stagehands getting ready for the play. So that's the challenging pieces. It's like stress has a delayed reaction of the negatives. Our body's really good at compensating for a while. So it sometimes doesn't really make sense to us how it all unravels. And the dance and the tango here is pretty complex, which makes it frustrating because we'd like to be very simple and straightforward. And we are really like that in iron. So talk to us about conventional iron, functional iron, and biochemistry iron. So I think that the conventional world looks at iron somewhat similar to the functional world, just different ranges, but it's kind of like, I'm going to measure your iron, your ferritin. And this one measurement is going to tell me if you have enough iron in your body or not. I think functional does too. They look at ferritin as iron storage, which it's not. We'll definitely go more into that. And so like functional medicine has tighter ranges. 
So just like any conventional one, I feel like whenever you look at the lab ranges, it's like a span of like 200. (laughs) So it's like, okay, functional kind of tightens that up a little bit. And they do recognize that iron can feed pathogens, yeast, stuff like that. So it can be inflammatory in excess. I do think some uh, conventional medicine doctors do recognize this as well, but they're still looking at it as like a dipstick measurement. Like if you're going to measure your oil, like, is there enough in the car? I'm working on my analogies. I know nothing about Mm -hmm. cars. So I do know how to change my oil though. But so basically like you're going in there, you're measuring, is there enough oil? Iron is a lot more complex than that. Same thing with vitamin D. So iron is probably, I think it's one of the coolest minerals because we actually have a whole entire recycling system for it in the body. And this is where people get confused. They're like, my doctor said my ferritin's low, my iron is low, and that I'm anemic. But they're not looking at their retinol, which is the animal vitamin A, right? And they're not looking at their copper. So the reason that those two are so important for iron is because that's what keeps iron in motion in that recycling system in their body. So if you don't have enough copper and vitamin A or one or the other, then you can look anemic on your blood work. And so your doctor will think you don't have enough iron because of low iron panel values and you'll typically supplement with it. And then in reality, it's like we have a system that makes 24 milligrams every 24 hours inside our bodies. What does it need to do it? Copper and vitamin A. Oh, sorry. I thought there was more pieces, but it was vitamin C and there's copper inside of vitamin C, right? Yeah. I mean, vitamin C, I think just helps make copper more available, but copper and retinol are the ones that really control. So like for the recycling system, it's different enzymes kick off different reactions. So you have to like one, get into the door inside the recycling system, get the iron, and then you need to get it out of that door to go into the body and actually be utilized, make red blood cells, all that important stuff. And so in order to open those doors, you need certain enzymes and those enzymes are powered by copper, but it's the available form of copper. So it's really copper and vitamin A. All right. Oh, I really want to repeat that as best as I can, but here's all I have to open the doors for iron to move around because it like stays in motion. And so we should talk about what it looks like, you know, what high and low means. Or you talked about low, but but what high means. So if I need enzymes to work to open the door, because that's like the hinges almost to open the door, mm-hmm. and I need copper, bioavailable copper to do that, I want iron to stay in motion. I need like 25 milligrams a day. I get 24 my body makes on its own if it has the nutrients to do it. Mm-hmm. What about ferritin that's really high? And what would high ferritin look like? What is it technically? Because we don't really recognize high ferritin as an issue. Yeah, that's true. Optimal ferritin is like 20 to 50. Mm-hmm. So when you start getting like above 60, that's a red flag and that's a sign of inflammation. And so I think the easiest analogy to just think of iron is it just has to be in motion. When it's stuck and it gets stuck inside your tissues, then inflammation occurs in the body. So for ferritin, that high ferritin would be a sign of that inflammation because really ferritin should be in our mitochondria. It shouldn't be in our blood. When it starts getting discharged into our blood, that's a sign that there's inflammation within the body. And you can have like high iron labs that are really obvious. You know, if if you have a serum iron that's above a hundred, like, you know, 120 or more, that's a red flag. That's a sign that it's like, Hey, you're starting to 
get excessive iron levels. I most often see this in women with irregular cycles, PCOS, and then with the high ferritin, if you're accompanying that, but you don't always see them together. Like sometimes it's just a high ferritin and then you have a very low iron because you're not getting that iron in motion and using it properly. And then if typically if those people, if you can look at their retinol, their vitamin A, then you would see very low levels of vitamin A. And that would clue us into okay, that's most likely the driving factor as to why they have this high ferritin and like low anemic looking serum iron levels. Okay. I want to talk about blood labs, but I'm going to try to reiterate because this is difficult and new. If you have low iron, you need bioavailable copper and retinol vitamin A to Mm -hmm. keep it scooching around. It's supposed to be moving and grooving. But in theory, if you have high, it's the same answer, right? Yes, but I also would look so much deeper into like, where are you getting that? Do you have iron in your environment? Like, are you having a cycle every month? Like menopausal women, I always have my clients donate blood a few times a year. Because that's the only way way for your body to get rid of iron. Yeah. So that's really the only way that we can get rid of it. Same thing if you have irregular cycles, like if PCOS or Mm. if you have amenorrhea, then I mean, you want to focus on your minerals first. So listen to the last episode we did. Make sure you have enough sodium and potassium because you lose a gram of sodium when you donate blood and people wonder why they pass out. And so you can definitely donate blood to get rid of it. But I've seen so many clients where they, they're eating iron fortified foods and they don't realize it. There's an iron in their supplements that they're taking and they don't realize it. And that can also lead to those excessively high levels. Let's touch base on functionally how we've recognized iron because we always talk about it feeding gut pathogens as well. So sometimes you'll see low iron. Traditionally, this is how I thought of it. I always thought like I'm seeing low iron from really nasty gut pathogens. Any comments around that? Like a low serum iron? Yeah, low ferritin. I mean, I don't think ferritin should be high. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't really look at it that way because it should mostly be inside the cell. So when it's showing up on blood work, that's more of a sign of dysfunction based mm-hmm. on what I know about the iron recycling system. Right. When do you pull iron labs in the full Monty? And are you looking at retinol and copper? And I know you have a different marker for copper. So what are you looking at in the blood to try to understand this? Because a lot of people really like blood, like it's comfortable, right? It's familiar. And I think you can still learn a lot from blood work. So I look at serum iron, iron saturation, hemoglobin is another really good marker. Like 70% of our iron is in our hemoglobin, Uh, ferritin. And then I transferrin is a protein that helps transfer iron. So I do think that one's helpful. But for copper, I'm looking at copper, vitamin A, but it's got to be retinol. If you ask your doctor for vitamin A, they're probably going to order beta carotene. And then ceruloplasmin. So this is the word I've avoided this whole time. (laughs) But ceruloplasmin, it just, it's basically when you take copper and then retinol, and then it makes ceruloplasmin. But there's plenty of other enzymes that are also made with copper and vitamin A. But ceruloplasmin is one that you can measure in your blood. Again, like it's not perfect, but at least you could see like if you had low ceruloplasmin, then you would think, okay, this makes sense that my iron is also low because I need this bioavailable form of copper to move iron around and keep it in motion in my body. As an integrative person where I'm like trying to like stand in the middle and be like good about the gray zone, but also not too far on one end or the other, I am new enough to this concept 
that if I see a ferret in a four, I'm still freaking out because that's uncomfortable. I mean, that's like you feel like ass and you're exhausted and you, I feel like you're not oxygenating your tissues. And I'm going to send you to your doctor to be assessed because it's also frightening. I am uncomfortable with your labs being like really low. I wonder what you do in that situation. I'm guessing you don't freak out like me. Maybe instead you support copper, bioavailable copper and retinol A. How long does it seem like it takes to turn that around? I would. So I do not like going off of one lab value. I don't like yeah. just looking at labs at all because I think it really, really depends on the person. What is their eating history like? What is their digestive history like? Mm-hmm. I mean, a ferritin of four, I feel like that is means so much less than if I knew what their copper, their retinol, their iron levels are like, because truly if they're like ferritin doesn't really tell you a ton about how you're using iron in the body. I would look at the serum iron because serum iron is more of like your miles per gallon. Like how efficiently are you getting that iron in motion in the body? So that's what I would look at much deeper. And then I make everyone do a hair test And so I feel like I would be comparing that ferritin, the other iron levels, and then looking at the hair tests. I mean, my guess is that kind of a person would be very depleted, probably like a fast four. So they're like in that burnout type of stage, but I wouldn't send them to a doctor because the doctor would probably give them iron and then it would erase all the work that we're doing. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) It is alarming though, when you've come from like, I mean, and I know you've been in this world for a while, but I'm like... Yeah, kind of uncomfortable, kind of uncomfortable with some of these numbers. I I feel like we all need to step away from chasing labs, though. I think so many people do that, and then your client does it, and then like you shouldn't be terrified looking at blood work or a hair test. Like That's why I like for people to really understand this stuff. And if everything was crazy low, I think that would scare me a lot more. Mm -hmm. But If multiple markers, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, with a low ferritin, I'm like... Okay, so you can't be that inflamed. So maybe you're more depleted. Maybe it's a digestive issue. I need to go back. I want to make sure that we talk about, I don't know if we did. Did we talk about the relationship between stress and copper being used up or like why people don't have enough copper? Did we talk about that? Because Um, we need it for all this stuff, but why would you lose it or not have enough? I think a lot of it is our diet, like our soil, the way we farm now. I mean, you know this better than anyone that we don't have a lot of copper. We don't have a lot of minerals in general in a lot of the soil and because of like the more modern like farming techniques. And then I think a lot of people are just supplementing with things like excessive vitamin D and zinc. I mean, think of a multivitamin. Most multivitamins have pretty much everything that I wouldn't want someone to take in there. Like vitamin C is a huge one. If you're taking ascorbic acid vitamin C, which is pretty most of them on the market, then that is going to also deplete your copper levels. And most of those are like a thousand milligrams in one. So I think a lot of us are not getting it from our diet, but then we're also taking supplements that are going to deplete it without realizing it because we live in a world that's so concerned with zinc and vitamin D rather than like copper and vitamin A. Yeah. I mean, it does turn our world upside down. I'm not going to lie. I mean, and how long have you been like in this rabbit hole, how many years has it been? Do you think two years? Okay, good. And I think that's why I feel so comfortable with it because 
I've been doing with this with clients for two years. And I also like think about my client, my very first clients, you know, that you're just like, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. I did not know anything <laughs> like when we work together. Mm-hmm. And even now, like I have reached out to a lot of people and a lot of them will like follow me on Instagram or listen to my podcast. And they're just like, oh my gosh, like this makes so much sense. And I just find that when I didn't have this type of approach, even just a mineral-based approach, you can resolve people's issues, but then like a year later, they're back with something else. And I was just kind of like, how can I make this so that not that I don't want to see them again, but that they don't continue to need me. And that's really when I think minerals came into play. And then I don't think that people should never take vitamin D either. I know that a lot of people that are into like Morley Robbins and the root cause protocol, that's how they feel. I don't think it's poison. I think the dose matters. I think the person's skin color matters. You know, if they have really dark skin, they have a lot of melanin, like their ability to make vitamin D from the sun is different. So I do think everything's like a case by case basis, but avoiding extremes is the key. Like don't take 10,000 IUs of vitamin D, you know, like that's a lot of vitamin D, especially if you're not taking any vitamin A. And then, you know, if you haven't even addressed magnesium, it's kind of like, is the vitamin D even going to work? Cause you need magnesium to convert it. So I think if people don't take extremes that they won't create big imbalances in their bodies and have to worry. Well, I think this does like, if I'm, <laughs> I can be aggressive. I have super dosed, but I think also the important piece is like, you don't want to hang out. I think it's always dangerous to like nowadays, my biggest thing is like trying to get back to only whole food and synergistic nutrients for the long term. Cause mm-hmm. if I want to support, you know, and I'm taking now different approaches to mitochondrial support and all these things, but like anything you supplement with can create a different deficiency. The yeah. end the end. And so I don't want people, people are like, well, am I going to be on this forever? And I was like, dude, like I have kind of a framework on how long you go on and off things. And there's some things you can pulse for sure, but you don't need to just like randomly be on stuff forever. We all get supplement fatigue. I for one struggle with that. Like, I'm never going to tell someone to be on something forever. (laughs) Like that's not going to come out of my mouth because I just don't foresee myself. Like if I can't follow a recommendation, I don't want to give it to someone else. That's like, that's kind of the first thing, you know, that's probably why we're also always self-developing and learning. And you said something that I think should be appreciated so much. And a practitioner is like, I don't want you to need me. I want to help fix you. And I want you to be able to fix. And I would say the other poisonous piece is like that whole stupid stress thing today. We were, we were, and I mean, so timely for the name of this podcast, which was really just a synonym for inflammation, which little did I know there's just like continued layers for, but we were brainstorming today. Like what can we put out for the podcast about stress reduction? That's effective that people, cause like, guess what? It's not sexy and it's not like fun to talk about. And so, but it's like the self-limiting factor that sends us backwards faster than anything else. So, and that's why we kind of started this conversation like that. Yeah. And I honestly, if I had one piece of advice on stress, I would say have fun. Like so many people do not have fun, especially if you're like in the mix of maybe you're working with someone, starting a protocol, like you have to make time for fun in your life and on your healing journey. Otherwise you will never heal. And I think people just make the more to-do lists and more, I'm going to meditate. I'm going to do red light therapy. I'm going to use my heart mass sensor and do all these other things as part of my morning routine, nighttime routine. And it all of a sudden you're stressed out from your de-stressing techniques. So I would say like, just have some good old fashioned fun and laugh. And I think that's one of the best ways you can de-stress. 
Yeah. Well, laughing increases endorphins. I did have like a list about that for a while. I should put it back at the top of client materials because that is fun. And it is a great reminder. That was a perfect place to end because this was a heavy topic. Yeah. Thank you for ending with like, have fun. (laughs) Right. And that's the thing is like, this conversation doesn't need to be stressful. It's just like, we're optimistically learning the end. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like, how are we going about this? Are we going about this from a stressed place? We're going about it from like, I will ask people that sometimes around food stuff. I'm like, was that freaking you out and stressing you out when you weighed yourself? Or did you go about it with curious optimism? Like you were just kind of wondering about water retention or like, what was going on for you in that situation? So anyway, Thanks so much for coming on. I mean, this is a not a one hour topic. It's not. Yeah. We've been working on it for a while and uh, <laughs> had some ups and downs and been like, oh, this is so frustrating. And uh, using some of your analogies have been much more help. I like to like oversimplify things if possible. So yeah, the way you've described things has really helped me a lot as I try to turn my own feelings on some things upside down. It like really ruined my life when I found all this stuff out. Thank you. Like, yeah. Thank you. I actually, like Kaylee and I talk about that. Our other friend, uh, we're like, I'm so excited and also so frustrated right now. I wanted to do this to help people and like to help with refractory cases and yeah. out of boredom. And now it's like gotten out of control. <laughs> yeah. Just like you said, like, it doesn't have to be stressful. And like this kind of information shouldn't scare you. In my mind, I would hope that it's going to empower everyone that's listening. And some concepts can feel hard, but don't let them like intimidate you. It's just food. It's literally just food. That's all we're talking about and being smart with supplementation. Cool. Awesome. Okay. Episode 182 for section one of this. And where can people find you online? I'm at Hormone Healing RD on Instagram. My website's just Hormone Healing RD. And then I have a podcast called Are You Menstrual? I know, which is so fun. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sharing and reviewing this podcast is the best way to help us succeed with our mission to help integrate the best of East and West and empower you to raise the bar on your health story. Just go to reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. That's reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. And you'll be taken directly to a page where you can insert your review and hit post.